Jim Crane, no restrictions on the current podcast network. We are back uh, after our Haunted House episode, uh, which I'm so happy I didn't get possessed by the ghost or devil, Cyrene, who I made a believer out of after that episode. If you watch the ghost episode, you will see an astonished Cyrene. No, you won't. When the ghost (laughs) talks to us. And she is amazed. And afterwards, on the ride home, she said, Jim, I now believe. Oh, for Scream. She sake. screamed at me. I'm a believer. Yeah. And there, there you go. It was. Sorry. That just didn't happen. It did. It was scary. It I was w- afraid. It was scary because it was just a creepy situation to be in. <laughs> that doesn't mean that there's ghosts. There are ghosts. And it was scary. It was a weird little <clears throat> piece of software that they had in their laptop. And I admit Oh, it was it not was... software. Okay. Jake, was it software? That well, I was a little iffy on. <laughs> that was a where did I get you to? Where did I get you to? Listen, I believe. Are I, you supposed to be yes listen, people? We went to college. What kind of show is this? <laughs> I, I still believe in ghosts, but that software was a little weird. It was like from a 1980s Microsoft computer. And I don't know. It had what, what that weird say? reverb on it. It sounded like a crappy karaoke thing. It was creepy because it was a dark room. You were in it. And they said that there's ghosts in it. It was creepy because you were in a gym. That's the main reason. And then it was That's where she was going with that. Weird, echoey <laughs> sounds. And I'm looking Wait. at it like. Well, you were saying you and Jake, you went what? You said, to college. So you said, I where got, did you bat- find us? We have. Well, I got a bachelor's science degree, so I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I don't, I can't see these people have got, had a computer with like ghost voices on it. That's here. exactly what it was. I'm sorry, ghost. Oh, God. I love let me, you guys. Let me, yeah, sure. Let me get the ghost computer. Let me go buy that software. I'm sure that you Show I, me where the software is. I'll buy it. I seriously will. I'm sure that I could find it in like, I'm sure it's a free app. Listen, it probably comes on a floppy disk. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a cool experience, though. I want to do it again. You guys gang up on me. I want to try to do it again. It was so much fun. It was exhilarating. It was exciting. I say we do it again. I would absolutely do it again. And I love those people. That there is no software such as you're saying. Oh my God. All right. Yeah. That's definitely more likely that there's no, no I, software that makes spooky noises. But They were talking to us. But me. that there were ghosts talking to us. I believe the EBF, the EVP thing. The yeah, that was, was, wait, how could you believe cool. that? Is, could you believe that? No. It was on Ghost Hunters. I've never seen Ghost Hunters use um, talk box thing. Right. There you go. Then oh, every so they have half of it's real, half not? Yeah. You gotta I definitely it. think this place was haunted. There were ghosts for sure. Definitely not. It definitely wasn't haunted. Well, see, that's where we disagree. Here, I still agree with you it was haunted. Here was like the the magic moment for me, okay? So when we walk out, and let me preface this by saying I love you ghosts and that. You guys are awesome. We walk out of the place, okay? And we start walking back to our cars. And like the 25-year-old kid gets into like a $400,000 Mercedes like sedan. <laughs> okay, so? Scam artist. Oh, no wait, trust fund kid. Maybe that's a good see. That's, the Mercedes was used. The Mercedes was go. used. I don't know. It was just the nicest car. I remember seeing it when we pulled up, and I was like, "Who has a Mercedes like that in Manesson, PA?" Ghost <laughs> people. And there it is. People making hand over fist money on yes. hunting ghosts. Ghost hunters, man. That's big box. I love you, Brett. Thank you for having us. No, what else? That was big, really say cool. Say that with love. It was cool. You know what else? We want to do it again. You know what else is big boxes? Uh, Stand up comedy. That's what we're gonna talk about today. <laughs> We're doing a stand-up comedy <laughs> episode for you, since we're both stand-up comedians. 
we want to talk from uh, different perspectives. Uh, you know, female, young female comedian uh, on her way up, and uh, me about to die. Ninety-five years old. Been out, been done for years. But uh, Jim has to sit while talking while stand up because he's so old. <laughs> Jake he wheels me out <laughs> to do this actually, and Sierney literally has to carry me out like in a Bjorn. Uh-huh. She carries me outside. Like, yeah, that's we go why I'm out. So that's how I get air. <laughs> I go outside and I'm Bjorn. Uh, but uh, so we're talking uh, stand-up comedy. We got. Sirini's uh, been uh, working uh, with me open since we've been doing the show together. And um, so we've been doing stand-up together. She does stand-up. Uh, I think she's brilliantly funny. Uh, I joke around with her, but I just think she's really, really a brilliant comedian. I think she's naturally funny. I saw her on the show called The Party Shows, which she developed uh, about, I don't know, years ago. I was there maybe four or five years ago or something like that. I did the show. I can't remember. But... Uh, she she created this show by herself called the Party Show and did it from ground up, uh, and I watched her. And I've been around comedy a long time. I I, I saw her host. I mean, it's it's very difficult to host in front of a live audience and control the show because it's like having mass chaos and somehow you have to create a calm while that mass chaos is going on and actually get laughs. So I saw her do that, and she had a certain edge and wit that reminded me of Johnny Carson. For those of you old enough to remember Johnny Carson, go on YouTube and look him up. An old uh, white man. But he, uh, yeah. He, but he said Carson had this certain wit and certain little edge to him. And it was like uh, he had, he was likable, but uh, he had this weird little sarcastic sarcasm to him, you know. Uh, and he'd get away with things that others couldn't get away with. And her interview skills were amazing. So I saw this talented young lady, and I, and that's why she's on the show right now. I'm lucky to have her. Uh, but uh. But we do stand up uh, now. She does. She's been doing stand up, but uh, you know it's a difficult game. Stand up. It takes different levels of different amounts of years or hours put in for different people. For me, it took me. I, I made a living at it when I was young. Comedy clubs were booming. I've made a living my whole life, but uh, I don't think I came into my own until two, three years ago. Believe it or not, it got to the point where I had to get old enough to not give a fuck, and then I got funny. Or, I thought myself. My more my comedy came out then. I, mean, I was doing comedy. I was always naturally funny. It carried me on its back because you can't make the money I make without carrying on. You know, I'd be you got to be the real deal. My bank account says I'm a fucking comedian, <laughs> but but uh, but you have but to get that yourself out. It takes a fear. There's a fear you have to overcome, and that's what I love about Sirene. I think she's she she has that fearlessness to her, and uh, Thanks, Jimmy. I love that about you. And uh, that's why I see the comedy in her. Uh, and she's naturally funny. It's funny because this, this, this woman can make me fall to the ground laughing like no one. Like I mean, I just drop to my knees laughing. She kills me. Uh, so we just have to get – we're just working on getting that out. Uh, so you've been doing <clears throat> comedy. Tell me about the party show, how you developed okay, the party show. I'd we're telling everybody about it. From my perspective, tell me your perspective, Sierney. How, how did you do it? How did you develop it? What happened? Well, first of all, thank you for saying all those kind words about me. No, true. Um, the party show was, okay, just to start it off, I had just come, I had just entered one of the darkest times of my life. I was very depressed. Mm-hmm. And I needed something to distract me, take my mind off of it, a funnel, a channel, if you will, to put this traumatic thing that I had just gone through and I was working um, in a video production studio that made workout videos 
and I met someone there that knew how to shoot and edit video and he did stand up and he introduced me to some comedians. I had already, I had been in a band so I knew a bunch of musicians and I just had a, a really interesting at that time group of friends, just a network of people and I was like, all these people are doing all these cool things and it was like mm -hmm. the just the, the, the kind of like the peak of you know youtube had just really taken off people were really starting to use youtube as um a way to make money and a way to put content out and i was like i got this big old house uh and like <sighs> i built a set in my basement and i wanted to make like a saturday night live meets wayne's world kind okay. of show i wanted to bring interesting people on i always wanted to have a band a comedian and uh and a sketch and i was honored to have you on the show i must say thank you uh but it kind of turned into its own thing where the party people came for the party stayed for the show and uh it turned into this this it didn't take off i ran out of money but it turned into a really fun project P probably one of the most proud things proud pieces of uh thing that i've ever worked well, you had a lot of rabid fans and that that's a testament to mm -hmm. what we do is an entertainment that's like when you anyone out there you know watching or listening when you come up to us and tell us you watch the show or or the podcast or or anything mm -hmm. uh, it means so much yeah, it's amazing it really does. uh we had uh, a gentleman uh, came up to me saying he had to go to a birthday party at the we were at steamworks and he, and he watches and listens uh every show mm -hmm. and i just was like uh honored you know to meet somebody to, to hear that and he said it was a fan of yours sir mm -hmm. and uh that's that's why we do this thing so so you did connect with people that was cool how did you know what i just said the natural talent did you feel it i didn't at all how did you know i felt like a fraud the whole time really? i didn't know I, I i actually still to this day don't have the the confidence that you say that i have i I felt like a fraud the whole well, time. What's fearless and say confidence? It took me 30 years to get yeah, confidence. Yeah, I don't feel like for me it's there yet. <laughs> if you see it, it's an act. Cause it's, it's within. <laughs> it's within. It's the part where you just yeah. sit there and go, I don't give a fuck. But I, I it's good. It's a good yeah. feeling. I remember sitting at the desk. It was set up like just like Jimmy Kimmel, like a desk, right. a, a couch, a, just like this. Fallon, Kimmel, whatever. I yeah. remember sitting at the desk watching people come into my basement door and going, what do they do? What, what a bunch of dummies. Why are they coming here? It's Saturday night. They could be anywhere. We're in Pittsburgh. The nightlife and the food scene is booming. Why are they here? Every and comedian. then they would howl and roll. The audience would be laughing. They loved it. And they would yuck it up for the camera. And I don't know if you guys have watched like the behind the scenes of that. But I mean, the party was always raging. It never stopped. It was just so much fun. I it, it was, it, But every comedian's like that. I think every performer and singer we all think we're imposters believe it or yeah. not i we, we do most comedians i don't know maybe some maybe a handful came from normal backgrounds mm -hmm. but i come from dysfunction and you know proud all of it ones. but uh <laughs> but uh we all have that that fear but that's what i think that's what makes the comedian work and makes it funny is the fear it's like uh i think i told this analogy once it's like uh lions chasing gazelle a bunch of gazelle and the ones that live are the ones who are most afraid because they run the fastest. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying, we're comedians. We're up there running fast, trying not to get eaten by the lion. It makes you your sharpest, best you can be in your wit. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you feel like. That's where it has to carry on its back in a way. And that's why you could decide to make a living by getting the laughs or having people. That's where, that's what it means so much when you come up to us because that's confirming to us to keep going what yeah. we're doing. And so 
now you're doing a party show. Mm-hmm. You're, a, you're a great host, great interview. This is instinctual then. This mm-hmm. is nothing you trained for. Mm-mm. No. It's just something you just did. Yeah. And I was, I mean, producing and, and, and shooting and scheduling the guests. And then I was doing the monologue. It, it, I mean, once they said action, it, it turned into like, you ta-da. Just yeah. And you did. Now, as young. Five, six, uh, seven, eight. And then boom, the show. And then it was over so quickly. Yeah. Was a young, uh, you know, female comedian. It's 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 a different vibe for, to from a male comedian, that, you know, yeah. influences in in other words even because, you know, now there's many female comedians. It's changed. It really wasn't a lot. Only 15 years ago, yeah, maybe Ellen, yeah, Roseanne, mm-hmm. Rosie O'Donnell. I'm talking 15. I'm talking 20 years ago, whatever. Now you got a million of them. But, but uh, you know, when you were little, when you were a kid or whatever, growing up, who was your influence? Oh. Who was the influence? Ashamed to say this today, but I mean, Bill Cosby. Well, we'll separate. <laughs> you know what? Let's just go with the comedy aspect of it. Yeah. Just like people like O.J. Simpson, the football player, with uh, to separate their personal lives yeah, because yeah. Cosby was a genius comedian. Yeah. What are you going to do? I remember being like a young kid and having the VHS and just rewinding it back and over and over and watching Bill Cosby himself over and over and over again. And What's a VHS? I'm too young. <laughs> sure, <yeah. laughs> what Jake? What is that? But anyway, what's she talking about? This older lady here. No, I but would it, just so, so you watch it, and like my sisters were memorizing like Smash Mouth and Britney Spears songs and singing them into the toothbrush and and the hairbrush. But I knew every word back to front, front to back of Bill Cosby himself. That's pretty funny. Richard Little Pryor. girl, how yeah. old were you? How old? Um, eight, nine. So you're nine years old, and you're yeah. memorizing Cosby. Yep, and and I remember like. T- telling some of the jokes to my dad and his friends if they were over. My dad was a musician, so he had band practice a lot in the house, and I would just come out and start telling jokes, and I would pick up their cigarettes and pretend to smoke them. And, and you're nine, yeah, ten, and it, and I you would have laughs. my parents like cracking up, yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's a uh, that's a good feeling, isn't? It? And that's the first time, probably the only time I've ever killed an audience. <laughs> that's euphoric, though, isn't it? When you get that laugh from a family, that's it how was, I started it too was. in family. It's like what I imagine heroin is like. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Yeah. It, it is. It's a euphoric <laughs> thing. You're right. Yeah. In front of your family. And then I, you're addicted. You're like, I got to go get another crowd to laugh at me and love me and accept me. <laughs> I grew up really poor. And um, I had no idea how I was not going to be poor. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one was before me in our generations. <laughs> but I just didn't want to be. And I thought. It's got me something. And I remember I was like 12 years old and did a Christmas party. I was get up and just did my aunts and uncles, just like you said, just goofing mm-hmm. around. I remember just killing. Yeah. I remember getting home and I going, that's, that's the one. That's the way. I knew it was. I just knew it. I, it's weird. I just knew it. Yeah. That's how I knew I was it. naturally funny. I can make anyone laugh at any time. It was a power, like a superpower I felt. It was funny. I can't, I can't describe it. I won 17 talent shows after that. Was it that or was it that our parents were just so high and they were just laughing at we us probably got we were fortunate. acting like idiots? We probably got fortunate. They're so drunk. <laughs> Family members are so drunk and they launched a career. They gave us that little <laughs> nudge of confidence we needed. I'm thinking the latter, for me at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, well, it's that little energy. So... You you start doing stand up at how what age? Uh, what age do you want to be Bill Cosby now? Oh, well, what age do I want to be Bill no, Cosby? No, no, well, yeah, get on stage. Um, okay. You're gonna get up on stage now and get, you yeah, know, the first well, time, Cuba, or whatever. The first time <laughs> I ever did stand up comedy was at the Palace Theater in Greensburg. Not even an open mic. You start big. 
Well, it was like the Palace it, Theater, a two thousand seat theater, people, yeah, something like that. And beautiful theater. You're not going to believe this. Guess who was in the dressing room that I shared the weekend before? Cosby. Bill Cosby. It's pretty cool. Well, not now that I think about it, I'm like, isn't that where all the bad stuff? Yeah, but well, like I said, we're trying to separate it, but <laughs> right. still. Anyway, it was <laughs> I was, I was um, a middle act for like a rap show, so there was like Pretty Ricky was in town. Okay. okay? And uh, the dance mom girls were there, right? And mm-hmm. But I didn't know until right like 10 minutes before I go on, and I am a nervous wreck. I mean, shaking, sweating. I was like, can somebody get me a drink, please? I'm so nervous. And they like the producers of the show come up, and they're like, hey, you're a comedian, right? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, well, the, the girls from Dance Moms are here. Can you like shout them out? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I'm like, do you mean wow. like make fun of them? Wow. They're like, no, they're children. Don't do that. And then I was like, there's children in the audience. I had no idea. All these like dick jokes and fart jokes. <laughs> it was bad. So your whole act was to be edited out. Yep. I had to change my whole act like four minutes before going on stage. So I kind of just leaned on those like little girls and was just like yeah get your weird asses up here just dance your dancers did you right get laughs yeah i did actually and it was a small like it wasn't sold out and but that's what got your yep and i and i brought the bands on that was your I, first show first show ever not i had not never even been to an open mic but see that's where the natural ability comes like i said so it was something that you, you get into it, you get addicted to it when it when it works like that yep like just from the first time yeah because you're like wow this is a little easier than I thought. Or oh, I don't know about that. But well, afterwards it is when you look back yeah. at it, I guess, right? Baptism by fire, I think, was the only way for me to get into it. Because before that, it was like, oh, I'll go to an open mic tomorrow. Oh, I got these jokes, but I'll just try them out on Twitter and see how they do. I'll go to open mic next week. And I would always make an excuse. But then it was like, all right, you're on. Change your whole act. And I get out there and I got laughs. I mean, I don't, I don't think I killed, but my first time at the Ballast Theater. That's amazing. Yeah. It made you do it. Made and and do then, it. then you started doing what? Did you start going to open mics? Then I started going to open mics. Aaron Kleiber, who we had, I think, our very first episode, right. was doing uh, like a comedy class yes. at Arcade Theater, which uh-huh. I reluctantly took. He let me come and do the show for free. Or the, the class for okay, free. Okay, cool. Um, I, I, and developed I, it a little bit from there. Yeah, I think just being around comedians. other comics and meeting other comics helped. Uh, I... I went to a couple open mics and i have to be honest like to this day i i don't like them i hate them they don't help me um and when i was doing it it was just like boys club now there's a little more women in there but when i started it was all guys it's very difficult yeah for females and i think like my first couple years i was you know in my 20s so i was drinking every open every time i go to open mic i would just get wasted natural and it it wasn't working for me so yeah why i uh we were talking about this software, but I uh, I like to do open mics every once in a while. But mm-hmm. the best way to do it, if you're out and you want to be a comedian, do them every six weeks. But, you know, it's just good to do three, four times a week in your home, believe it or not. I, I spend two hours, I, I do my act, I do my, and then I tape it, go back and listen to it, and then figure out what to do. Because if you're an open mic, there are only six or eight people there, the rest are other comics. So you, you just have to learn how to get it out of yourself, and you want to memorize so once you get it out where you're speaking, just like we're doing now, there's nobody in the room, but you are. You're watching, of course, and we have to imagine that. There's, there's Jake is here. Yeah. You know, and you, if you've seen him, you'd cry. No, but <laughs> I kid. But uh, so, you know, so we're imagining you here, and I'm trying to time the laughs with you here. It's the same thing. Okay. So if I'm sitting in front of uh, no one, my dogs or whatever, Larry, uh, mm-hmm. and doing my act for an hour and tape it listen back you're getting it out now then you can go to make it every six weeks or whatever and 
do get in front of an audience, but I think it's the way to go too. Yeah. It's one way to go. I was very relieved to hear you say that because I felt, I, I mean, like I said, I still feel like a fraud, even calling myself a comedian, going out and doing shows with you, not hitting mics as frequently as I should be. But here, when I heard you say that today, I was very relieved. Well, when I was a kid, I, uh, I had an arrogance and, uh, I was able to do impressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all I did was impressions. I'm like 20 years old, 21, just getting out of college. And, and I'm literally, I won 17 talent shows in a row. So I thought I was Eddie Murphy. Of course. Because I won. And everywhere I went, people would be like, he's amazing or something like that, whatever. I went to the Pittsburgh Comedy Club, beat out 50 people audition. Yeah. Arrogant enough to think, I know I'm going to do this. And I did. Yeah. The arrogance got me. And I, I ran into a comedian. His name was Uncle Dirty. Oh, Uncle Dirty. He was a. Uh, he worked with Richard Pryor <laughs> and George Carlin. He wrote with him. And he opened for the Grateful Dead. Now, I had been in the comedy club scene maybe for two years. I just started a headline, co headline. And I got the Tropicana Atlantic City. And that was a big gig. If you get the Tropicana, you got a lot of gigs. You're going to get New York was next. You're going to get a shot at Dangerfields next. Mm. If you do well. It's like a boxer that you can't have. You can't have two bad shows. You could have one bad show. The second show, you're sent home. You would never work again in the business, probably. Because the word gets out. And the reason you're sent home is New York is a short drive away. Mm-hmm. They can get a guy from Catch a Rising Star, Dangerfields, take over. Well, remember I was 22 at the time. 21, 22. And my act was... Uh, Impressions of Pee Wee Herman, people like that, whatever people just knew like from Letterman. And, yeah, I know. So they knew, my, you know, so it was all comedy club stuff. So it was Monday through Sunday mm-hmm. at the Tropicana to perform. And uh, the whole audience was 90. They bust people yeah. and see, they comp senior citizens <laughs> on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So I said, when's the real club coming? They said, you're not going to get anyone under 40 until Friday and Saturday, Thursday, maybe Friday and Saturday and Sunday. So you got four, three, four shows of seniors. Yeah. I went up and I died. I literally died. Yeah. Nothing. And I'm I'm sitting back. My head was down because you only have one more show. And I was like, I know if I bomb tomorrow, I'm going home. And Uncle Dirty sits down. He's a big guy, heavy guy. Head of joint. Yeah. And he lights his joint up. <laughs> hit the joint backstage. And this guy, Jack Cohn, was the other guy. But he, he was a nice guy. But he wouldn't talk to me much. But Uncle Dirty goes, you, you had a tough night. I said, yes, I did. He goes, you're going to go home tomorrow, aren't you? <laughs> oh, no. I said, yes, I am. He said, nah. He said, uh, go up and make him like you. So what? He said, don't do your act. For the first five minutes, just make him like you. So I said. Good impression. I, I said, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. So. He's, oh, he also, this is the line I want to say it. This is what he told me. He says, you're good. He said, good's the enemy of great. He said, you're never going to be great being good. You're too afraid mm-hmm. to be good, to be great. You want to be stuck with this good. Because I was getting laughs and I was making money and now yeah. for two years. I didn't want to change. I was doing everything safe. Yeah. That's what he's trying to tell me. So I, next day I went up and I started talking about my grandmother. I used to, I'd take her to, I used to take her to bingo on Wednesdays or whatever and eat in parks. I just tell them that story. That's all about my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And the next thing they're the more, oh, he takes, they're all his her age. Yeah. And they just, in their five minutes is talking and they like me. And once they like me and I killed. Nice. But he told me good is the enemy great. So you have to take out that, you have to go the extra little inch of fighting through your fear, I think mm-hmm. is what I learned. And not, you know, because it's hard because you, you could be 
good and get something going on, but mm-hmm. it is the enemy of great yeah. in a way. You got to break it all down, reinvent. It's each break. It's breaking your shell and getting to the next level. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. You breaking. I'm watching you break your shells, get to the next level. Yeah. And it's scary all the way. Yeah. Scarier than Castle Blood for sure. Well, how do you, how do you develop? Tell me how you develop material. What's your style? So I like to think of a premise. Usually send it to you. Lately, I've been sending stuff to you. Mm-hmm. And well, another comedian. It's good to bounce. Off yeah. comics. I send them to you yep. too. Um, I really like to try like one-liners out on Twitter mm-hmm. and see. And I don't have a lot of Twitter followers, but so if I get a lot of likes or a couple retweets, then I know that I should try it out, either here on the podcast, right. at open mic, or on, or on a show. And I had one joke that I did that started on Twitter, went to open mic, did well there, did well there, took it to the show that we did a couple weekends ago, and it did well there, and. That's been my process since the beginning. It's not perfect, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to use social media. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are doing that. I d- well, and a lot of I people do it on my don't. Fan page. A lot of people don't like that comics are do- doing that, treating Twitter like an open mic. But uh, Davon Magwood, a local guy, came out and said, "Like that's what I've been doing for years." And you know, he was the one that had jokes stolen from the the fat Jewish guy. What's his name? I think it's just a fat Jew fat jewish um and was on the netflix documentary oh, okay. I don't, so no, I don't know. he's he's fantastic he's a very, very funny young guy and um he came out and said that in a bunch of comics i remember at the time there was a huge like wake where everyone was like fuck dave on why would you ever use twitter as an open mic but i was like that's not a bad idea well it's not yet because instead of the ha ha ha's you're getting the hearts 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 and the retweets and I mean, that's kind of, you know, will it translate on stage? Maybe, maybe not. But in it, my it, experience, it, it has. It usually does. And, that, and it's funny you mentioned because mm-hmm. the last two years on my Facebook fan page, I do videos. I have a video series. Mm-hmm. And they get mil- uh, over a million views each year. Some get 100,000. Some get 10,000. Some get 5,000, mm-hmm. whatever. Usually my niece, Ella, is on. They get 150,000, whatever. Mm-hmm. From traveling somewhere, gets more, like L.A. or whatever. Um but I use it the same thing. I'll use concepts. I'll hold it up. I'll do the concept. It's all an angle. Mm-hmm. And I, But I always go back and it, based on the views. Yeah. If I got a lot of views and I get a lot of comments, mm-hmm. okay, that angle is funny. That I works. take the angle, mm-hmm. just change it around a little bit and use it for stand-up. So, I have, so basically, mm-hmm. it's just using different vehicles for yeah. comedy. I don't know why anyone would get outraged at that. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's uh, just using vehicles to figure out. What I mean, works it's and it's what in doesn't. a public forum. Aren't you doing this for people? Yeah. So, so why be a bad thing? It's just a writing tool. Well, when I heard that information, I was so young and so new. I was just following the directions of the comedians that I admired, the ones that I was seeing at the open mics and the ones that right. were getting, you know, that were featuring for the big acts that would come in town. And, mm-hmm. and I would follow their advice. But I remember, you know, they would say, well, don't do this. You have to go to open mic. You have to go to open If you don't go to open mic, you're not a comedian. Well, I, I think they're, they're going to say that in a sense because that's how they could maybe say they're a comedian which is fine yeah because uh i've done it uh but you're really not a comedian unless you're getting people to pay to see you yeah you're not a professional comedian right so you get someone to plop down money to see you right so you're making at least five six grand a year you're not a pro comedian because that means you're, you have yes four five hundred a month mm-hmm. doing stand-up dollar dollar bills yeah and it's just not it's just the energy money's just energy i'm just saying that so if you're not you're kind of a you're a comedian mm-hmm 
not a professional comedian. And, you know, so does the open stage make you a professional comedian? The answer, I don't think, I think is, is no, it doesn't make you a professional I think it works comedian. for some people. Maybe it does, I yes. think for some people it does. Repetitions, yeah, well, it's, it's a gym. Mm -hmm. I, I think it works. We all need stage time. Yeah. You need, I, I said, I didn't say don't do open stage. No, I said, no, I'm no. just saying, is it the only way? just open stage that's what, that's my point so thanks for saying it. I, yeah. I don't think it's the only way yeah. i think it's part i think it's one of the gymnasium exercises mm -hmm. i think why wouldn't you use your tools of social media why wouldn't you use open mic why wouldn't you use going to parties talking mm -hmm. about it or trip practicing i do it in my room that's my technique maybe it doesn't maybe it won't work for someone else but you know i don't know why it wouldn't if you're practicing yeah <laughs> being funny if you're funny you're funny i took a year to do a kevin costner impression yeah <laughs> which is great by the way Thank you. Yeah, I worked on it for a year, and um, you're in your room, and that's a weirdest. We're the weirdest job, comedians, man. You were Don Quixote too. You hit that windmill, man. Really, my mother still thinks I'm a drug dealer for crying out loud. She's like, "How well. do you make money? How are you getting a few thousand dollars to do a show?" You know, she's like, "I'm like, well, I don't know." She's like, "They pay twenty five dollars to see." I'm like, yeah, they, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty. Oh, by the way, I'm at 19 North, uh, coming up October 11th. The lamp on the uh, November fifteenth and December thirteenth at the Roxy. I'm just throwing that out there. But um, Sirenio, will be at a few of those shows also. A couple of those shows also working. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where the Costner's thing, man. You wonder if it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And then when it does, it's like it's like you said, it's like heroin or something. Yeah, it's what I imagine heroin feels like. It's like I need it. it's like chasing the dragon. Got to go get another hit. And you're, but you're afraid when, you, when mm -hmm. you're doing it, right? When you do, do you remember working on a joke and then doing mm -hmm. it and working? Remember oh which yes, one? yes. Give me it. Do I remember which joke? Mm -hmm. uh, it that was made the euphoria feeling where you go ah. I was work. talking about uh, my butthole. Okay. And about being catcalled. <laughs> Buttholes are funny. And some guy was catcalling me, and he said something like, "I want to build a house in your pussy. <laughs> Let me see that butthole, girl." <laughs> And I was build a house, huh? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. It's a visual. And I did like house. an impression. <laughs> and then they, these, these are hopeless the romantic. Some people are hopeless romantic. You know, but anyway. Well, then I'd say like they ended the joke with like, well, we're now we're getting an apartment together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, and it was like it turned into lunch. He turned into lunch money. The rapper, you know. <laughs> oh, and I developed this the this character. character, right? And um. Yeah. So the first time that worked, I was like, okay, not only is this joke funny, this guy's funny, and I got to turn this guy into my boyfriend who stays for the ride. He's, he's, now we're getting an apartment together. <laughs> now I'm having his baby. Now he's got this like rap career and he's quitting right. his job and he's lunch money and he needs money all the time. So like it just turned, it just, that's kind of how that joke turned into it. But that was my first big laugh was lunch. The it's lunch. euphoric when mm -hmm. you do it because you create, think about it, you, you know, yeah, you think you thought about it from nothing. We both. She comes from very humble beginnings. Uh, well, it didn't come from nothing. Somebody actually said that to me from a car once. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, you, when you come from humble beginnings, I'm saying we didn't really come from show business families. We oh, didn't no. come from million dollar homes. We didn't come from trust fund kids. We didn't, uh -uh. we weren't even middle class. We were. I know you're kind of poor like me. Yeah, you're, you're the same. We're you're you're similar in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Uh, that uh, it's an interesting thing when you think about it, isn't it? That, that uh, I remember being living in an alley, grew in, grew in an alley, and I just look back and think, all this stuff comes from you thinking. Mm -hmm. This is all in your mind. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of euphoric. It's a thought. You could probably, when you're a kid, going through what you're going through, you probably never think you're going to make money from your thoughts, mm -mm. make people emotional from your thoughts. No, never. 
that's euphoria i think huh? yeah maybe it's like oh they they want to hear they care they want to hear more about me right and the and my butthole and you're making them feel good <laughs> yeah it's about giving yes and and i re- and i also relate that to how i felt watching comedy the first time i saw that bill cosby or george carlin and i was like <gasps> how does he do that how does he make me feel like that i've never felt like that before how can i do that to somebody else it's like to me better than sex it is yeah it's a connection yeah it's an amazing connection you're right it's euphoric mm-hmm. i remember uh the bit was Co- uh costner's gizmo my dog 20 years old sitting on my lap pondering because he has heart condition i take him seven pills a day and Jesus. uh <laughs> and he has to sit on my lap and and he's uh kevin he looks like kevin costner <laughs> and one of the pills is viagra and it's him sitting there and he goes into Costner or he's Costner talking to me. You know, it's amazing. Uh, uh, this whole uh, thing about Viagra. I, um, you know, you neutered me 20 years ago. <laughs> and here you, here you go. You give me Viagra. You're a sick son of a bitch in a lot of ways. <laughs> and that's and that's how the Costner happened. And I, and I actually started doing the impression it hit me oh, he's not during the eulogy no. of Whitney Houston. For, and, and it's weird how <laughs> impressions are weird. You, know, you have to grab some one little line from yeah. something. I don't know why that eulogy. That's for, great. It's, it's a weird little twist. But anyway, impressions, yeah. Impressions were, were a little bit of a crutch, you know, which is in a weird way because it protected me yeah, from I, doing my stories. I have a question for you. Sure. Not to interrupt, but it, no, it goes along with this. So you did radio for a hundred years, uh-huh. and you don't get when you're on the radio that instant, that that laugh right back. What was it like being a comedian and trying these things out? And like you had your people in the studio, but how how would it, was it trying a joke out and not getting and just crickets, nothing? How do you know? It, you know, it's funny, sir. I w- if I may tell a story. I don't want to bore everybody. Jim Cren, that's what you do. But, but uh, it was uh, 1987, and I had been headlining comedy clubs and working at Dangerfields in New York, and uh, lived in Pittsburgh, but I was on the road a lot, so you know, that's how it was. Uh, but I was ready to move to Los Angeles and be managed by these people in um, late '87. So wasn't even born yet. No, you weren't even born. <laughs> You're just a thought. And uh I turned sixty in a few oh, ninety I'm ninety five. No, but ninety five years old. But anyway, uh so a few uh months before I go to L LA, I'm gonna be in Pittsburgh. I'm like I don't know what I was, twenty six, I guess, whatever. So twenty seven, twenty six, whatever. But uh so anyway I, I ended up on doing a guest spot on D V I had just been doing comedy though, stand up, making a living at it, a good living, in uh, headlining clubs all over the country. And I think I was doing six shows a week, mm-hmm. getting paid. And I'd fly out on Monday, I'd be in a club, but I'd be in club Wednesday at Fort Myers, I'd fly to Fort Myers, I'd be in Baltimore and do a week, I'd be in Detroit, and I'd be in Boston, I'd be in whatever, Philly, whatever, just week, flying, flying, flying around. And uh, you're on the road constantly, and it is combat. I mean, it's, 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 you get used to it. You get comfortable. It's just like any job. I was good at it because you get paid. You have to be good to get paid. Mm-hmm. And um, the radio, I go on, and it was like a set. It was relaxing. I mean, it was, yeah, I love doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. When you're stand-up, man, you better be in the moment. Mm-hmm. You're getting four laughs a minute yeah. for an hour. 
when you're headlining. You got to do four laughs a minute. That's a lot of yeah. think about making a person laugh four times every, every minute for an hour straight. So it's combat. Mm-hmm. The radio was different in a sense. It was totally different. So it was almost like I was conversing like now. It's like this, and it was like wow, I liked it because mm-hmm. it was just different it was like i was theater in mind and you and i are the same in a sense that you grew up also i grew up saturday night live different era mm-hmm. but we both are saturday night live junkies I never miss an episode never miss and i did not want to do radio i was ready to go and they offered me a silly amount of money and i stayed mm-hmm. they convinced me and uh i thought i was going to do it six months ended up being 25 years but uh but the idea that, that I had so much freedom because the station was 17th in the market at the time. They weren't number one like now. They were 17th. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were going to be flipped. They had lost the morning show two years earlier. They left, but so rebooting everything. But, so uh, I had freedom to do anything I wanted. And no one was doing that at the time. The comedian, the DJs were Rick D's and different people going to the end. Stern was in New York. No one knew who he was yet. Wow. His stuff was shock, though. Mm-hmm. So I knew from traveling around the country for years that no one was doing Saturday Night Live on the radio. So here I am, a guy who could do over 100 impressions. I'm, a one, I'm thinking I'm a one-man band Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. So I thought I could, do, I could do write characters, I could do skits, I can do all these things. So I used to come up with these characters, Stanley Pikachowski, Bobby Sumgum, Ralph the Cat, Ben Klinks the Mulgard, Otis, whatever, all these weird characters. Mm-hmm. And they just take off. That was the euphoria. The euphoria is when people came up uh-huh. quoting lines, oh. like slug lines. And, and like... Yeah. As we know, being Saturday Night Live junkies, yeah. I was smart enough to think slug line, slug line, slug line. Yeah. Every character had to have a slug line. Ben Klinks was freeze punk, nobody move. Uh, Ralph the Cat was one, you burn one. Uh, Stanley P. Kachowski was P was for whatever. So people would come back, and I knew that they remember. That's mm-hmm. how they remember it. Yeah. They'd, I've been with you when they come up and say that shit. You're right. <laughs> and they, until this day. Yeah. We're talking 25 years, so that's how much it affects because that's what's so cool when you do come up and say that. That means mm-hmm. a lot because it means you it affected you. But anyway... That was what, what the difference was, getting the feedback later mm-hmm. from the people. So it was like an investment. It was an investment and a gamble, and it mm-hmm. worked. And when it works, it's the same euphoria when someone comes up to you and says, you know, freeze, fuck, nobody move or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's funny when it's the weird, the wildest thing is people remember lines. They remember lines. Yeah. From a show, I just, I just, uh, sex therapist, Laura Korn, and she was talking about, we bleeped at the time, whatever, but somebody called and said, uh, my wife uh, likes to put a finger up my ass, and uh, we had to bleep it, obviously. But um, and uh, I just hate it. I just hate it, and I just go, and I don't know why. I just said one line. People quote this line. I just go, "I ain't no puppet" or something. That was the line. Yeah, <laughs> Jake likes it. Yeah, till this day, people come. <laughs> people come up all the time. I love it. Jake, they'll come and go. Hey, Jimmy, what? I ain't no puppet. Isn't that funny? <laughs> like one line, one show. People remember that. I, I like it. Talking about a finger, and I know puppet. I like it. This guy was mad. Speaking he didn't, want it. He didn't of, want it. Speaking of puppets, yes, aren't we gonna roll a clip at the end of the episode? We are gonna do it at the end of the show. Uh, I love puppets. Sirene, uh, is a like I said, the thing I like about uh, her, this young woman is uh, the way she thinks comedically. She reminds me of a young me. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna have a beard in a few years. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> get a nice little beard, wear a white shirt. I was yeah. saying, you know, <laughs> stuff on her get ear. Get a hundred dogs. Stuff on her ear. <laughs> you dye your beard. <laughs> blazers. <laughs> Inspirational blazers. <laughs> you guys are killing me. Oh, man. But anyway, uh, 
she uh, wrote a skit when we did her show. That's that was one thing. Another thing, Sarah. That's why I was impressed with you. The way you wrote this skit, I thought this skit was funny. I mean, this is you know, you're a kid. You're 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 what, 25 at the time. You're a kid starting yeah. out, and, and you know, you wrote this skit, and it's not easy to do a write a skit and pull it off. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, but I thought it was written very well, very funny, yeah. and it involves a puppet. It's and, actually uh, a real uh, Sesame Street puppet. It's a real got. Sesame Street puppet, <laughs> and we're gonna play that skit, and you're gonna see. Uh, I'm a little heavier back then, and I gained weight just for the role. But uh, <laughs> I'm a lot thinner back then. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> nah, you look great. But uh, so anyway, we're gonna play that puppet skit for you from the party show. Yeah. And, and actually, what we're gonna do as I mentioned before, we're gonna do a party show. Uh, special episodes maybe once or at least twice a year we're gonna have a series to do the party show and i'm gonna we're gonna produce that we're figuring out how to do that so i want people to see that see our host uh, it's very really, <laughs> very nice it's gonna it's great we're gonna see you're gonna do some great things here down right now i'm riding your coattails kid oh boy that's <laughs> right so yeah so so uh yeah the, the career uh, it was a, a amazing career on the radio here i'll tell you a lot a lot of interesting things well, that, that was that took a detour of the stand-up. But the stand-up ended up comp- – I, I, I was fortunate to keep doing stand-up, though. Yeah. I was working 80 hours a week. That's the good thing about stand-up. You can always do it. Like, no That's why what. I kept it going. It was like a trade. Yeah. And I'm doing 1,000-seat rooms and whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, all these crazy numbers, and it's great. But I couldn't write like I did now. I'm glad – I'm glad – 25 years was perfect. It was enough to end it. Mm-hmm. You know, they ended it for me, but I'm glad they did. Yeah. In a weird way because uh, – it changed. I had to reinvent, and that's the thing. And you got to break the shell and reinvent again. It's scary, but you know, I never thought I'd be great in greeting cards and stuff, and yeah. making chocolate and stuff. But uh, doing stand up again like this, but it's kind of cool. Isn't We're it? Like great young people, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's yeah, really interesting. I remember not like that the party show was anything like being on the radio for twenty five years, but I remember when it ended, I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to end. Right. And then I remember. Wait, it ended, ended bad like you, for you too. Not we don't great. Go into detail, but you know. Yeah, but somebody like takes a it from few me. years. Yeah, later tried to rip rip it off and do it again without me. You know, it feels take your creation and yeah. watch it and. Uh, yeah. Hey, my thumbprints all over. Yeah. The morning show. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel great, but you know, it was. It's the proudest I think of, of anything I've ever done. I'm, I'm more proud of the party show. Of that, any that, project I've ever worked and, on, and that's the best way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I look back at my years as proud of it. It's part of you, part of me. Yeah, it's, like it's part of you. Yeah, to do that, no one could take that away. Those moments yeah. away, no yeah. one could take the talent away. You know what? Though it was time to break the shell again. Yeah, that's really what it is. It's like I think it's like in every career, every business, every. If you talk to anybody out there, like whatever your job is, I don't care if it's an accountant or whatever it is, you have if you don't break your shell, and it's scary when you break your shell because that's your protection. You will not grow to the next level. Mm-hmm. You'll just stay in that same shell. And no matter what it is, it could be everything from relationships, friendships to, to work. You got to break the shell. Yeah. And it is, it's a scary moment to that next shell grows over. Trust me. I, you know, I, it was, wasn't easy. Mm-mm. It's not easy on anybody. No, especially, I mean, like I had to pay for my show out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Nobody else paid for it. Right. Produce Funding. it, write it, schedule it everything shoot it cut it get it up there it was all all me yeah and and, and there's a you know a certain demand on producing constantly and Mm -hmm. and uh so we're going to try and do more skits on this show actually we're going to bring back some skits i would love that 
Yeah. So we're, we're Saturday Night Live people, so we figured, you know, Jake was saying, hey, do some more skits, right, Jake? Yeah. Jake's good like that. You give him a few beers, he suggests good suggestions. <laughs> he's so creative when he's drunk, it's amazing. Matter of fact, we're going to have him do the show drunk. <gasps> Produce it. So he, yeah. after, <laughs> after he turns 21. Blurry cameras. When he turns 21. Jake is 12. He's the Doogie now. Hauser. He's my son. <laughs> Well, in this sketch, in this, I adopt him. In this sketch, Jim actually plays my dad. So. I do, I do. I play <laughs> and she's with a puppet. Mm-hmm. You know, I ain't we no puppet. Really, we don't want to give it away. No I ain't no, pu- I ain't no puppet, people. <laughs> I ain't no puppet. <laughs> what was your worst show you ever had? Oh my god! So I was, I, I think because I was young woman and I had big boobs I was getting gigs that I shouldn't have had <laughs> before I was ready so I was getting like I know the feeling yeah, I, used sure. get, I used to get gigs because I was so good looking yeah I don't think it was just always happened I think it was because I was just available <laughs> and yeah. I was doing it was in uh Freeport Pennsylvania so up 28 yeah. it was during a like a massive blizzard and it was a corporate offices um Christmas party and I was following Chris Kemp, who's like just this, just doll, this this older woman who does dick jokes, and she's hysterical. It's, she's impossible act to follow. <laughs> and I was just wasn't ready for a for a corporate, and they didn't want us there. That's that's always the thing. Like they weren't expecting comedy. They just wanted to have their nice buffet, listen to some music. <laughs> Maybe like a musician or a magician would have been nice for them. But three comedians, they were not prepared for it. And uh, they didn't want us there, so I went up and I I was trying and I tried out a bunch of new stuff. I was trying out this like <laughs> you're working out on a yeah, <laughs> and this, this is what I mean. Like I wasn't ready. I had just just started, and I was just getting gigs because on my looks alone, and it was you could tell. And um, <laughs> thank you. It was like the most money I think I ever made doing comedy. I got like a hot meal. I got a ride up there. I got a ride. Are you working home. soup kitchen? Yes, it was meal. awesome. It's like unheard, working all the soup unheard of in my first year. And I was like, I had just been dumped by this douchebag that worked at Whole Foods. So I was like talking about that. And it was more of like a therapy session. And um, comedy is there. I'm going to I'm going to give Jake a picture of me bombing. It's the only picture I have of me bombing. You have it? Okay, yeah, I have that. the photo and you can see me like kind of choke, like actually choking where I'm like, <laughs> oh God, it hurts so bad. And um, I've never had a set where it was just, I got nothing. Nothing. Not a chuckle. Not a, I think like somebody choked on their potato salad in the middle of my set and I was like, is that a laugh? <laughs> and that was it. That's all I got. So I quit in the mid 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 set. I finished the Whole Foods joke and I was like, well, I'm going to bring back up Chris Kemp. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it's the worst. I still think about it. All oh the, yeah. I still think about it all the time. Nightmares. Yeah. Of bombing shows. Mm-hmm. I had a show where I was attacked by a little person once I was bombing a little guy. No came way. Up and- attacked you. I was at this place and he Dawson's told the little crossed. people tiger joke. That's why. Oh, you monster. That's why I always, I mean, I always back little people. But um, it's LP three feet tall. I'm at this <laughs> bar. This comedian opens for me. I can't believe I'm headlining. This must be my third show I've ever done. I have no idea why. Yeah. I'm in a it's a biker bar. Oh, wow. Bad. Bad. No glasses plastic 
because oh, they would throw it or something or whatever. I have no other. idea. Yeah, they, yeah each fights. Yeah, I've heard of that. So imagine a biker bar, and I am up on a crate, like kind of made little crate stage with these French fry lights in my face. You're back. Like there. And it's like just right in my face. And uh, the magician bombs. And I get up and I'm bombing 10 minutes in, just like you just said. Yeah. My throat is burning. It's, oh, it's it dry. Hurts. I want to curl up into a ball. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this little person, I was going to say midget. But nope. Can't. Nope. I leave that one out. I will leave that out. <laughs> this LP. LP. You must have called him the M-word. No, I didn't. I didn't. By the way, people always say midgets the N-word. It's not. It's not. Because guess what? Midgets were not enslaved. We say the N-word. We don't say midget. Right. Anyway, (laughs) just throwing it out there. (laughs) And midgets were not enslaved. And guess what? They still have midget wrestling. It's still out there. Ah, LP. They're they're called the Midget Avengers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, LPs. We're, we're LP here. We're so LP friendly. We're going to have so many bleeps in this episode. No, we got to say it. Uh, I, hey, I watch all the LP shows. <laughs> I'm sure they I don't love little that. people. Yeah, they're, they're, I support I support those little families. But uh, <laughs> they're. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe this is. I'm still bitter, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> so this, little, this little person, three feet tall biker with his little sleeveless arms. Worked out. Yeah. Nice bicep. Nice bicep. And he comes up and he's a little outfit on, little biker outfit on, which was really cool. I was, look, how do you buy a little biker outfit? I'm sure it was made for like a dog or something. It must have been, huh? Yeah. For like a pit bull or something. He was bitter. I've seen those outfits yes. at Petco. He was wearing, God, I feel bad now for him. He's wearing a pit bull a little outfit. Like a Halloween costume for it a was, dog. Yeah. I've seen those. He had like a little biker outfit on, and, uh, <laughs> and unless he made his own clothes. But anyway- he had his little cut-off biker outfit on, and, and he had blonde hair, and was combed to the side. And I didn't have a heckle on. And I'm not kidding. I couldn't see anything. That's all I heard was, you suck. Like, I swear like that. I'm like, what the fuck? You suck. And Harry's alcoholic that got drunk there and started fights. Uh-huh. They find out later. Uh-huh. But anyway, he comes up, and he just runs up toward the stage. And now he's underneath the lights. I'm like, holy mackerel. Great. This little guy fuck's going on yeah you know, with sleeves cut off mm-hmm. big biceps yeah plastic cup little fucking attack and kill me <laughs> solo cup yeah blonde hair come to the whips to the side to kind of you know look weird yeah. and, I, and i look at him and i go i had no heckling line mm-hmm. i just start and i said does anyone ever tell you, you look like barney roe because he looks just like barney roe oh the, the cartoon i just said it yeah. and the crowd laughed you rocked it yeah he got pissed and stormed me came right at me Right-handed God, I'm not kidding. I can't believe this worked. It's like in a cartoon. I stuck my arm out like a stick and hit his forehead, his little arms. Yes, his little arms are missing me. And the bounces come by and swept him out, took him out. And then after the show, a magician comes up to me and he goes, hey, bartender said there's a, somebody outside waiting to kick your ass. <laughs> I said, is it the mid? What a great is, club. I said, is it the little person? I said, <laughs> I said is it the M word? And, and he goes, uh, hold on. He goes outside and he goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm going to wait him out. So I waited out like four hours. and he didn't, Four you know, hours? I waited you till hid 2 from a little person. Oh, yeah. You should be ashamed of yourself. Are you kidding me? He said the arms like, it's huge arms. <laughs> the arms that couldn't even reach you. <laughs> what if he's in the backseat of my car and jumps? <laughs> so I pictured, How did you watch Chucky? Of course like, I Well, there Chucky. you go. He looked like a little Chucky, this guy. But anyway, that was my worst. 
that was I, I wouldn't call that a bomb though. I mean you got bum rushed. A bomb for twelve minutes. That's just funny. That's, I just bombed. That is a the only funny laugh story. I got was the burning no, that was bombing. That was bad. Well, you know, funny is watching people watching people bombs and exciting. Oh, yes, I do enjoy that. And my goal time is Rummy Bananas with Club Downtown. And Rummy was about uh, 85 pounds soaking wet in these big glasses, window glasses, like a little bit li- hair slicked back because of his tux that didn't fit. And like I said, big bow tie, yeah. big glasses like this. And he'd go on, this guy, Ronnie was the MC. He had the tux and whole things like a kind of a mob looking <laughs> great guy. And we were in the back of the club and me and Jimmy Miller and Dennis Miller and Billy Elmer were all in the back and we waited for this to happen. And this happened almost every time. And we just waited for it. We couldn't wait. Rummy would get on stage, true story, and uh, he would get pissed because he, I guess he worked the Catskills or Poconos. He always had this big, long resume <laughs> like he's a big comedian. We're like, you know, we're, and we just couldn't wait. Jimmy Miller and I, we could not breathe. <laughs> we could not breathe. We laughed so hard. Uh, but we would sit there, and there's this little club downtown that was in the basement. And, go, and the guy would say, this is Jimmy, Mr. Rummy. And Rummy would come up. Rummy was in some movies or something too, some like horror movies like Frankenstein. Oh, we gotta find or that footage. Like Ra- Frankenstein or yeah. what is, I don't know. But anyway, he gets up on stage and and like he'd get pissed like if somebody would be in the front row. <laughs> like they're eating, it's a dinner club. Yeah. And you hear somebody going like, you know, hey, would you pass the salt or something? And I, now he's bombing. Yeah. He's not getting any laughs. The jokes are outdated, like from you know, from the forties or so. I don't know where the hell he got these yeah. I don't know what it is. But anyway, he's up on stage and he goes, and he'd be in the middle of this line after bombing, not getting it. And it was amazing watching someone who could bomb, yeah, but not know it. Like, just kind of oh, had such confidence. Those people are psychopaths. I loved it. Yeah, I, I was like, they're my God, I, I'm, how do you do that? They're so unaware. It's great. It is great. I wish I had that. <laughs> I wish I had it. I'm too. jealous. I know. So he's jealous. He's walking around like, you think he's ripping the room up. And we're back there waiting, but we're waiting. And he's up and he goes, and all of a sudden you'll hear, you'll hear it loud enough because no laughs. You're past assault. And you'll hear, what? What did you say? <laughs> what? And the guy goes, I, 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 uh, I'm past assault. Past assault? <laughs> Is that what you said? And he'd say this line. Every This was his breakdown line. He had a breakdown line. I swear to God. I'm not making any of this up. No, he'd no. look at <laughs> And he'd say this line. It was so guttural. This is what made me laugh. Jimmy and I laughed so much. It was just so guttural. It just came from his soul. It was from his soul. And he'd just say it like, I'm not kidding. It was like his whole heart and soul. Yeah. And he'd be like, what am I? A piece of shit. Is that what I am? You bunch of cocksuckers. He would call the crowd down. And they then, love it when you do that. I know. And I would just cry. And, he'd be like, and the crowd was like horrified. Yeah. And he'd be what? I, I pissed on people like you in the Catskills. He'd just go off. <laughs> I pissed on people. like And just so angry at the crowd. And the MC would come up and he'd hug him. His face would be a little bare and and he was allowed to come back to the club? All the time. What the hell? Couldn't wait to see him. Who's the booker there? I didn't care. I couldn't <laughs> wait to see him. Anytime he was there, I was there. We, we, like, we would get up. We were like young. I don't know. We got up and do a few minutes. Dennis Miller was advanced. He was like amazing. But uh, I was just a kid. I had like three minutes of material, whatever. But yeah. I just wanted to see Rummy, man. What am I? Piece of shit. <laughs> Bunch of cocksuckers. I pissed on people like you. You need to get all it's emotional. But anyway. 
I saw. I I, I love to do that once on stage. <laughs> just have a total meltdown. Just say, when you're having yeah. a bad night. Yeah. What am I? A piece Probably of shit. Probably audience cocksuckers. Don't you appreciate me? <laughs> <laughs> when we like to say that in real life anywhere, mm-hmm. someone knows someone to appreciate you. Yeah. What am I? A piece of shit. You <laughs> cocksucker. That's the salt. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> like, what? Pass the salt. What am I? What am I? Yo, you're eating. You're eating on my ass. What's the supper cover? I'm sorry. There was um there was a guy I was doing a show like in West Virginia that wouldn't like obviously shoot up heroin before he came out on stage. <laughs> Always a relaxant before a show. And um <laughs> and he would start nodding out into the microphone during his set. Like, That's yeah. not good. And but then he'd go right back into the joke every single time. Like he did not not miss a beat. And he always seemed to come up during the punchline, which made <laughs> me wonder, is this the most brilliant comedian ever? Or is this guy really a junkie? Like it because well, it was so it was, fun. I mean, it, it worked. Killed. It worked. It and worked. it killed. Yeah, he would just be going on about. <laughs> I guess it was like an act that you like. Uh, like fall into the microphone like this, and then come back up into a punchline, and the crowd would just erupt. Because it was so. You know what? It's original. I've never seen anything it's like. Totally it. breaking the yeah. shell. Oh, it killed me. I I was like, couldn't track him down after the show. He'd take off. Can't C- remember his name. Could he so do good. it consistently? I only saw him that one time. That's probably the trick. Yeah. Remind me, there's a place called Graffiti. I know it. My dad used to perform there. Yeah. And um, I would say you were too young that, uh, to go there, I'm sure. But uh, pictures of them. In they there. had an open stage there. Mm-hmm. And if we, can get, if we can get Billy Elmer on the show, that's, we got to talk. You, you will literally cry at Billy Elmer. He, was a com- he is a comedian. Yeah. He's brilliant. And he's you know, an amazing guy. But uh, he uh, he knew this guy, and he somehow I don't know how he knew this guy, but there was a guy who was literally, legitimately, um, in Western Psych, oh. and his nurse handler nurse handler. His name was Elmer I remember his first name was Jimmy, <laughs> and they bring Jimmy. It wasn't me though. I was the other Jimmy. A lot of Jimmy comedians. A lot of Jimmy in the 90s. comedians. But Jim. Well, Jimmy was. Uh, in Western Psych, committed for we don't know what, but he literally would they bring him in, yeah, and he would get up and just go off on stuff that made no sense. <laughs> and he had his, I'm not kidding, he had like a hospital gown on. Cool, yes, he had a hospital Are gown. Are we sure it wasn't a shtick? No, it was not. How do you know? Oh, I talked to him and I saw the nurse, I talked to them. It was legit. They were like, This is part of his treatment. It was, fuck, yes. <laughs> It was part of his like therapy. They said, "Oh no, shit." Uh huh. And that's what made it wild because he didn't kill all the time. Sometimes it was just too nonsense. It made no sense. Yeah. But sometimes and he would just get up. He had his hair sticking all these glasses and he, and he talk ah, like this and scream. <laughs> and I am telling you, and he made nonsense. It just made no sense. It'd be like yeah. one liners that made no sense. Yeah. And sometimes you, the crowd would just look and then and then he just i'm telling i've never seen a room be ripped up like this i mean people literally crying and just laughing because he was just so out there yeah and something just bomb yeah but he was there uh not every week but i'd say every other one he was there and i couldn't wait to watch him it was brilliant to watch somebody do that and and as a kid you're like what is that what but but as i'm looking back and thinking once again there's, there's something about tapping into that fearlessness in you. Now, yeah. think about it. He's in Western. It's like this is part of his therapy. Yeah. He has no fear. He's, yeah. He has no fear. No inhibitions. And no inhibitions. It all comes down to letting it out. Yeah. So his comedy, whatever he was fighting through, mm-hmm. his mental illness, 
that was part of his therapy. But, but his comedy was coming through because there was no, there was no shell. Nothing holding him back, yeah. Nothing holding him back. So that's kind of interesting, huh? Very interesting. And if he was still doing comedy today, I bet he'd be a huge act to see. I would pay to go see the guy they just let out of Western Psych. I never, so, I, I, for years, he didn't get out, so I don't know if he ever did. Um, he's still in there. He should open up a mic at Western Psych. I asked. Western Psych open mic, Thursday nights. I asked, I asked <laughs> a couple people. 99 Cent Wings. I asked, 99 Cent Wings. I asked Billy, uh, last time I saw him, if you ever seen him, no, you never saw him. Because I remember that. I just remember, that. it's not something you see every day as a kid. And I, was, and I remember how brilliant, though, it was to watch. Because yeah. remember, this is like when Letterman had those weird you know, oh, yeah. acts on us. Yes. This guy was actually brilliant, more brilliant than these acts. He could have been on Letterman. But he wasn't know. consistent. That was the only thing. He couldn't do it all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. Maybe his meds were kicking. I have no idea what he had. God bless him. That would be the best comedy lineup. Rummy Bishop, <laughs> heroin guy yep. from West Virginia. And Jimmy. And, and Jimmy the crazy. crazy. Jimmy the man. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy the man. Wasn't like, yeah. I, I didn't be, yeah. Exactly. That's just it. You know why? Original. It's all about original, original, original. All of them are dead, I'm it's sure. Totally original, <laughs> yeah. all totally dead. Everybody <laughs> it's totally original. It's about being totally original. original. It's about getting the fear out. But not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, not, that's the only problem. That's the only problem. I think you can... It's tough to formulate that yeah. into something. Mm-hmm. And, and getting back to it, you know, I, I agree with you, Crosby. Horrible person, mm-hmm. obviously. Everyone does, yeah. obviously. Um, but that... His storytelling was amazing. Oh my gosh! Second and that is the greatest. I think to me, that's the greatest comedy. Yeah, storytelling. I love it because we can relate. Yeah, that's why you felt good. Yes. Yeah, and I remember him talking about his kids and just. Yeah. He reminded me of my dad, just angry at us all the time. Yes. <laughs> it was imperfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It was imperfect. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of the things about radio with me was, uh, I didn't see back then. It was like you had a certain image. The radio people had a certain image. It was like perfect. Mm-hmm. Like you almost had flawless, almost like TV anchors, you know? Yeah. Radio people were like that too. Yeah. And I was imperfect on the air. I couldn't, I didn't speak with yeah. radio voice. I didn't really have that, you know, I didn't have that, you know, DJ at that time. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have that. And uh, I was coming from a comedy club world. And I remember doing something. I can't remember where I was. It really stupid. As you know, I am prone to still do something stupid. And uh, so I remember they were getting on me. You know, the other jocks that were in the room. Like, wow, this is rough. And but I remember the phones lighting up, and then everyone was backing. They were, in, you know. Mm-hmm. It, the, so I started calling myself the king of imperfection. In other words, people want to see imperfect. And that's what kind of yeah. you're saying with Cosby. It was yeah. real. They want to see what they want to see imperfect. Yep. Yeah. Because they, we're all imperfect, and that's well, our fear. We have a fear. We want to be perfect. Yeah. Everybody's trying to be perfect, but we're all imperfect. That's the problem. Yeah. So we try to hide it. All Comedians have to bring it out and yeah. say it's the job of a comedian is to say it's okay to be imperfect. Yeah. And make you you're allowed to laugh at yourself. You you're, can, it's yeah. not the end of the world. You can laugh at me so you can laugh at yourself. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. To laugh at yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? We think it's you it's not it's okay to embarrass yourself. Yeah. It's actually cuz sometimes it's kind of therapeutic to do it too. You know why? Cuz you realize people have lives. Nobody really gives a shit. We Nobody think they do. There's going to be some shit. people around you maybe yeah. getting under your skin trying to, for whatever their reasons are, but mm-hmm. people don't really give a shit. Nobody gives a shit. They move on. Don't forget in three, four days. Yeah. No matter what you do to embarrass yourself. Yeah, but people like us, 
we don't forgive ourselves. <laughs> we no. never forget. No, but that's why we have to oh, turn that, into material. That time you bombed in January 13th and oh, I 2015 every... during the blizzard. You had that stupid R2-D2 shirt on, you idiot. <laughs> After I bomb, I can't sleep for a week. Oh, my gosh. Never. Yeah. No, I can't sleep. I really can't sleep. Really that. It's here. It's like, you know, painful. Yeah. It's painful to bomb. I know. Do, do you... Uh, do you do comedy at all to be famous? No. I, I don't do it for money either. <laughs> I w- if I had no, to choose you, one, fame or money, I would choose money. But no, You do it for money because money is energy. That's yeah. why I say quality. Yeah. Uh, but no. I, never, I, I always walked out of, before they did uh, the direct, direct deposit, I'd, I'd walk out, I used to walk out of comedy clubs and i walk out of uh, DVE without picking up my check. I'd forget it all the time. Really? All the time. Damn. And I always remember that. Where are they now? Where are those checks now? Oh, I go back and get those <laughs> fucking checks. But, uh, and uh, I was getting paid a lot too. So, But uh, yeah. but I was saying, that's just it. It didn't matter. No matter how much money I was making. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous money. But I, I was like, and that always reminded me, huh, yeah, that's why I do this. Mm-hmm. I forgot, it reminded me, you forget the checks. But mm-hmm. So it's not for fame. Not at all. In fact, I think fame would be a huge inconvenience to me. It's part of it. it it's mm-hmm. you have to kind of. It's how you view it. Everything in the world is how you view, and so you view it as a thank you from the audience. But you're with me sometimes, so you know it could be different. Yeah, it's definitely for you. I've I've never you're been with me famous. Around. We're buddies. We're friends. Yeah. At restaurants or whatever. It's it's nice. So for the most part. Yeah. But I, it's you know. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like it's it. It's not an. It's not a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Have, you know, people come, come up, up and, and strangers bond. know you. But it's kind of mm-hmm. cool though, in a way, to have that bond. You mm-hmm. know. But you have to be on a little yeah. bit because you don't want to disappoint. You don't want to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the interesting thing. But no, I agree with you. I, I, but I never got into it to be famous. To be famous, I get into it to get laughs. Yeah, and laughs. I get into work to keep working. Yeah, and I wanted to get the point where I could choose where I work and when I work. It. So that was that was the goal. The goal is the, people say about making it. Mm-hmm. Say making it to me is an entertainer. Whether you're a singer. Comedian, actor, you made it if you can make a living at it. Mm-hmm. The rest is gravy or whatever. Fame, you can use that fame to keep going maybe. I don't know, but it's not really the most natural thing. Mm-mm. It's not going to buy you happiness, obviously, because how many people go and go off the deep end of famous, right? You sit there and go, oh my God, they had everything. Most they had fame, of them. money, and everything. They're just, you know, what they. Yeah, I would say more, more people than. Uh, Mostly, uh, yeah. Anthony most Bourdain them. to Elvis to whatever to yeah. They don't know whoever. what to do with it. They don't know how to handle it. That's a lifestyle that's not for a lot of people. It's it, for anybody. And really. I know it's so unnatural. Yeah, I know, I know that it's not for. I've never been famous. I don't ever want to be famous. You you, you could be, and uh, you know you could be, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I think it's uh, and I'm only famous small within yeah. my mother circle. Yeah, Lou. Yeah. I'm famous for Lou going to, you going to Lou's apartment. <laughs> Jim Crenshaw. There's candles. There's candles <laughs> with my picture. You think I'm a saint? Now there's actually there's a couple now. Sirene with candles. I'm so she's starting yeah. to replace. She thinks she's funny. She does. But uh, me. but uh, it's it's a thing where it's a, it's kind of it. I do like it. Uh, it could be an aphrodisiac a little bit. Mm-hmm. It can uh, it can distort you a little bit. You have to have good people around. See, the people that that, that, that don't handle, they don't have good people around them and, they, and their egos, they start, you can't, you just got to remind yourself not to believe your press clippings, that yeah. you're not 
special. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not special. And you have to have really good friends that can tolerate you. Like my young friend here, you know, or, or, or you know, I'm just saying you because you could really be spoiled a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> when you're famous, you need people like me to bring fame. you back down to earth. Yeah, you need somebody. Yeah, that, that you know, say, hey, you're an asshole or whatever. And, and I got enough of those people around me that, that care. Yeah, that, in a genuine way, you got some good people. But uh, those people probably didn't have that. I don't know. It's in, but it, at a national level, you can't escape it. Regional, I can escape it. I can go out of town and escape a little bit. But still. You're an entertainer. It's what you do. That's yeah. kind of a, a double-edged sword. You're being an entertainer. You you need fame to make money, mm-hmm. get an audience, but at the same time, you got to deal with them when public. You control it. Yeah. Well, you control it. You enjoy it. Try to channel it to enjoy it. But it's yeah. It's so you don't. Yeah. It, but you've seen a lot of comedians yeah. open stage that want fame. Mm-hmm. That's all they want. Yeah. Definitely. And that's fair. That's something to crave and and aspire. I don't know. Not for me. I mean, even for them, I don't know if it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good thing. I think we're a dead end. I think it could be, but most of them aren't. Most of you that's going after that really can never, never really develop. Anybody who's ever just gone after that, I could tell they're, they'll never. They're in the comedy world, anyway. Mm-hmm. The furthest they've ever gotten, at those people I've seen, can only do. I call it impression of a comedian. Hmm, like a parrot, kind of. Sort of. Yeah. They're good. Mm-hmm. They're just doing comedians, and they're basically doing what they see as a comedian, mm-hmm. and they can get laughs on that, but they can't go any further. Yeah. So that's the thing we're getting further to, walk. to go beyond. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the fight. The, the, the that's the aphrodisiac part. We're, we're you get a little bit of fame and acceptance. That's like a drug. Yeah. So now you got to break that shell, to give that up a little bit mm-hmm. to get to the next level. That's the hard part. That becomes hard, you know, yeah. as you keep progressing because you know that you're going beyond now you're in, keep on the new levels so now you got to break you know the shell we'll see that's the unknown that's the beauty yeah, of this whole thing right we'll see it's it's can't tell the future i just know gotta keep trying that's a that's the guess when people like comedians yeah you, you know you just uh who are you bored jake Jake's like, I'm tired. I'm yeah, tired. We're running long here. We're Joe Rogan. We're going to go nine hours. We're Joe Rogan. We're doing six I, hours. I'm Joe and he's Rogan. We're doing Joe Rogan. Yeah, we're but uh, <laughs> So you said it again. Yeah. So yeah, let's play Milk the Cat. I know you said you were busy on Sunday, but I really want you to come to the party show. There's going to be a really good band there. Yeah, there's a band. It's good for you. That's now. Let's do a house party right here. How about this house? <laughs> oh, yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Come right. Oh. What in the world? The Donald Ooh. Sterling is going on here. Say, man, hey, I don't do threesome. I can't believe this. I'm at my side there, all right? I'm just enjoying myself watching Pawn Stars and you and Serenity are making one of them Kim Kardashian movies. Yeah, well, you better say Kim or I'd knock you right here if you say Chloe. I ain't no puppet, okay? No, you You ain't nothing but a dirty sock. What you call me? But where, where are you going? Go back here, you mother, mother. You want to go?
Pittsburgh Current is proud to announce the return of Pulitzer Prize finalist Rob Rogers' iconic cartoon, Brood on Grand. You can catch Rob's take on local and national issues in every issue of the Pittsburgh Current. Jim Crenn, no restrictions with Sirenie. We are back. Uh, how about Rob Rogers? Love Rob Rogers. Rob is also a partner uh, with Larry Richard and Dick Roberts. Uh, we have the Yinzer Media. We're doing Yinzer cards, which are available in Giant Eagle. And uh, as of now, in some, uh, uh, we have a Yinzer chocolate, Immaculate Confection chocolate bars, which are in uh, Giant Eagle, Hallmark Stores, Heinz History Center. And, and soon to be in other places uh, that we're going to announce pretty soon. But uh, as of this airing, we should be in most of those stores. By the end of October, we'll be in all of those stores. Wow. Rob Rogers is the guy who uh, does all the illustration. I do the writing. He's called a cartoonist. And he's our cartoonist. He's our, <laughs> he's our guy. And he does all the little cartoons. He's, real, he's a genius. On the cards, we have a few new cards coming out for Christmas coming out also. But the next step is going to be uh, with the wonderful people of Saris chocolate oh cannonsburg legendary incredible chocolate uh doing our chocolate bars will be launching so that's kind of cool so thank you for uh, watching our comedy show uh Sierra, you have a show coming up Wait, where is it i have officially joined the cast as a permanent figure in the po vincent podcast so every thursday we go watch a movie we give you the review right now we're just going to be doing live shows on twitch after the movie um i will put an episode in the link description where you can watch us uh, Thursday, tomorrow. That is wonderful. Every single Thursday. Okay. Um, yeah, and if you could, just for the show, if you're listening on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're streaming this podcast, just give us five stars. Leave a comment. Say whatever you want. You can say, fuck you, Sarah, fuck you, Jim. Just give us five stars. It just helps the show. It just puts us back up there in the charts, and it's good for, good for our sponsors, good for you guys if you like the show. And uh, we are launching our Patreon, uh, the Jim Crenn No Restrictions. You can find us on Patreon, uh, the Patreon app. And we have not figured out the tiers yet, but we are just going to be posting some behind-the-scenes action, mm -hmm. the conversations we have on the ride to our shows, <laughs> from our shows, which are things we're not really allowed to talk about on here. No, and uh, we'll unique. post some pictures. I'll, like, I'll put a picture of Jim's earwax in there. <laughs> <laughs> I will be posting things that you just will never see up here. And if you join and pledge, it's like $5 a month, $10. You can pick, choose whatever you want to pay. Uh, we will give you, I mean, you could even request like topics for the show if you want. If you're like pitching in $10 a month, you can be like, I want to hear you guys talk about more Any, of your whatever. jokes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whatever, yeah, your, whatever theme, right? Yeah, anything you want. And then, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you through that channel. And it'll be private just between us that's why it's called patreon it's a little club yeah so check that out i'll put that in the link description and tell us what you want to hear and i hope to hope you guys pledge that'd be great thanks i uh so i could i could uh i could like get in touch with you guys when you're doing the movie review and yeah be like some you know crazy that's for fan. us though no, no 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 i mean your other show oh that yes i do that yeah if you watch on twitch oh i'm all in yeah you, oh i'm gonna mm -hmm. be do you want to know how I, I upset, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, uh, I upset Josh Botter, <laughs> who, who was on our uh, a show a little while ago. Hmm. He said, um, like, he really wanted to watch me get undressed. And I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> oh I'm going to I'm gonna get undressed on Twitch. Just log on in like 10 minutes. And he's like, this looks like a link to like a comedy show. I'm like, no, 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 just hang up. And then I was like, hey, I just, and I tricked like a bunch of people. That's how I got them all to watch me. <laughs> 
But I won't be doing that anymore because I'll be a permanent cast member on the show now, along with uh, Vincent, another very funny comedian in Pittsburgh, Vincent Didiano. I cannot wait. I can't wait to see the reviews yeah. of the movies. No I should have tricked you. You're so easy to trick. It's been like I am very gullible. Nudie show. I don't know. You know me. I'm too much Catholic guilt. I'm yeah. Do you that. just believe anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'll be at uh, uh, 19 North in Washington, PA. Go to eventbrite.com. Eventbrite.com. Get your tickets. 19 North, Washington, PA with uh, Mike Wysocki, October 11th uh, so hope to see you guys out there looking forward to that show and don't forget to get your uh yinzer chocolate yinzer uh birthday cards and holiday cards uh, your local giant eagle and hallmark stores and looking forward to that and sirene it was a fun show talking comedy we've seen a lot more of sirene stand up in the future and we're gonna be doing we're, we're gonna do a, a few uh, uh stand up themes with uh current uh, pittsburgh current uh, we're working on also, and I have a show coming up in the Roxy on December 13th. It's a huge show that December 13th, a beautiful theater, uh, the Roxy. In. So going to definitely a little bit, little bit of a twist. I'm breaking the shell on my act a little bit. Uh, going to do some singing. So it's either going to bomb or do great, but I can't wait. Either way, it'll be fun. It'll so be fun. we'll see what happens. So that's it. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Jim Crane, No Restrictions with Sirene. <laughs>